Boris, please go ahead. Coming. Hey, Tom. Um, thanks for the question about authenticity. It was very, very nice. Uh, my question is more practical. Um, basically, I've started that new job in a co-working space. Um, so a lot of activity, a lot of life, of course. And I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. Um, so my question is, basically, yeah, I get very exhausted very quickly, uh, even if I'm working with great people. Um, so you said often that we can turn down the volume when we are in a mall or whatever crowded place. So I would love to hear if you would have like more tips about that, in that specific scenario when you, when you walk into those spaces. First, I would, I would say that whenever your life goes through a major change in what you're doing, how you're doing it, um, whether that change is, is in the doing world or whether it's in the being world, you can expect to be to feeling a little confused and a little overwhelmed. That's just the way it is. That's how we feel when we're undergoing change. Change is good. Usually you come out the other side of the change, a better person, more whole, bigger picture. So it's a good thing. But change that is significant is usually change that feels overwhelming in the beginning. So that's kind of as it should be, you know, overwhelming, being exhausted, being tired. It's because <clears throat> you're trying to get your balance. You're trying to, you know, you know, you've, you've jumped up in the air and done a triple flip. Now you need to land on your feet, get your balance and not fall, not fall over. And it, that's a challenging thing because you're not sure. You're not sure about this. You're not sure about that. Not sure if you're doing it right. Not sure if you're doing it wrong. Not sure you're going about it in the right way because it's new. And anything that's new, you're not sure of. And when you're not sure of something, it sucks a lot of energy out of you because there's a lot of, well, maybe, but maybe not, but maybe I should, but I'm not sure. And that just sucks energy out of you as you do new things. So being overwhelmed is par for the course when your life takes a, a major change, but it will get better as the, as the confidence grows in the, in the new thing and the new perspective and the new things you're doing <clears throat> and the understanding grows, then the feeling of being overwhelmed will disappear all on its own. But besides that, okay, on to the question, it's uh, how do you, how do you relax and let go? How do you just relax and let go? And I think a good way to do that is to let go of the fear that it might not be, you might not be doing it right. It may be a mistake. It, you know, you're not quite sure how it's going to all end up. You know, there's a certain amount of fear of the unknown there about how things are going to work out and how they come out. <clears throat> and if you can let that fear go and say, well, you know, they're going to come out however they do. This is going to turn out to be a good thing or a bad thing or something in between or neutral. And we don't know yet. It's still up in the air how it's going to come out, how I'm going to work at it, whether I'm going to succeed or fail or all sorts of possibilities. And I have no idea where this is going to lead me. But it'll take me somewhere 
And wherever it takes me, I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to be wiser because of it. I'm going to understand more because of it. And that's going to be a good thing. So win, lose, or draw really doesn't matter. What matters is that when it's all said and done, the smoke is cleared, you're going to be a better person. You're going to have learned. You're going to have grown. You're going to have taken this in, sorted it out, and be better for it. So if you have that at the bottom of of your feeling stack, you know, if you have that in there, then you can just relax a little bit because it's not so important that it's a win. It's not so important that it comes out the way you think it is. It's only important that you make your best choices as you go. Every little choice you have along the way, you make it as your best choice. And that's really all you have to do. After that, it'll work out however it works out. You know, you'll learn. You'll learn how nice it is to deal with good people. You'll learn how frustrating it is to deal with people who aren't so good, but you have to deal with them anyway. You know, you're going you're gonna to be challenged in, in lots of ways. So whenever you start anything new, a new job, a new relationship, just, you know, go live in, an, in a new culture, it's always overwhelming to begin with. But the thing that can counter that feeling of overwhelming, which is a feeling of not knowing how it's going to work out, not sure that you're doing it right, it's the unknown hanging over you is what kind of saps your energy is to say, well, it doesn't really matter. It's going to work out some way. And as long as I always take my best choice and try to do the low entropy thing, it's going to work out great. Whatever great looks like, (laughs) you know, it's going to come out great because I'm going to learn from it and grow from it. And I don't know what the lessons are yet, but every new day is another opportunity to make choices and it's all gonna you know so with that idea that it can't turn out badly it really can't turn out badly even the whole thing blows up and turns out to be totally different than what you thought it's still not bad you'll learn from it and you'll be much better for it so do your due diligence learn what you have to learn grow you know become less self-centered, just do all the things that we talk about, keep working on all that stuff, and it can't help but be a tremendous success. And success is not measured in how much money you make or how many friends you have or how much beer you drink. Success is measured in how much you grow up. So it can't help but be a big success. And in general, you should have that attitude toward life. That's life. Wow, this life out here looks kind of rough. You know, it's got some really ugly warts on it, but I'm going to go embrace it. And it can't help but be tremendous. It can't help but be great because I'm going to learn a lot from it. You see, it's that same thing. You can embrace life that way with all its warts. Oh, here's some really ugly people in my path. They're really piece of work. They're nasty. They're self-centered. You know, they hurt people. They're abusive. All right. I get to deal with that now. And when I come out of that, however I deal with it, I'm going to learn something. If I deal with it badly, oh, it'll hurt. I'll be unhappy. I'll be miserable. If I deal with it well, I'll zip right through it, smiling all the way and learn a lot. 
But in any case, I'm going to learn a lot. You see? So now you can embrace something that's ugly, something that's full of warts, and still be okay with it and not feel overwhelmed. Oh, God, i got to deal with all that ugliness, you know, with all those people who just don't understand and all the dysfunction and all the petty politics and all the, you know, the arguing and fussing. And I'm out in the real world now where, you know, where the going gets ugly. Because the people out there are mostly not too grown up. I'm going to be dealing with a lot of egos and things. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to let it suck me into that game and I get upset and angry. Oh, that wouldn't be good. Well, but I'll learn from it if I do that. And Or am I going to uh, be part of that solution, help all that get better? You know, so that would be my, my advice. It's just an attitude thing. Look at it from the attitude. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. It's going to be great, however it works out. And, and when you do your meditation, when you just put yourself in that quiet space, no matter where you are, or maybe you have to go retreat to some place that is quiet, but whatever, when you're in that quiet space, just feel the rightness of it. Feel the potential of it. Feel that this is going to be a good learning experience, and you're going to remain part of the solution all the way through it. Whatever kind of tap dance that requires, you know, whatever kind of juggling, uh, you know, that has, you're going to learn how to do it and do it positively. And the things that can't be positive, well, you leave them alone. Stay away from them. Don't get involved in things that can't be positive. Yeah, just so anyhow, that's the way that you deal with all of this is with a perspective that's positive. See, everything's positive. It's all going to be all right. And, and uh, that then will get you through and deal with that in your meditation, because when you're out in the middle of it and people are kicking you in the shins and doing things that are not nice, you know, it's, it's a little harder to uh, remain positive, but when you sit down at night in your meditation, you go back over those events that weren't very nice and say, well, you know, I could have handled those better. I could have not gotten upset. I could have not gotten angry. I didn't have to tell those people that they were stupid. You know, I, I could have maybe said that differently in a, in a more positive way. And then you learn and you grow from it. So those meditations are important because that's where you kind of pull it all in, set it straight, organize it in a way that's helpful to you, and learn from it. If you don't have that meditation, then you get so much input data that you can't process it. And then eventually you get all wadded up because you've got too much data to process. And then's when you start feeling overwhelmed. You've got a lot of data and you're, not, you're having trouble processing it. So process it as you go in those meditation states. Well, what happened today? And how did I feel about it? And where did I lose it? <laughs> where, did I, where did I not do so well? What, where, where was my attitude not quite right? And then you think about that, and you try to fix it, and you go on. And if you live your life that way, well, you'll just keep growing up and growing up, and you'll find that life is just full of joy for you. So that's the thing. That's why that meditation is important. So good if you can do it on a crowded school bus, but 
if not, go to wherever it is you do need, you know, to go and, and, uh, make sure that, uh, every day you kind of learn, become aware of what the lessons were and how did you do in them and how are you going to do better? So that means life is just, you're in the classroom now, you know, this is life. You're in the classroom of life and you're taking your lesson seriously and you're doing your homework. And that will make you happy all by itself. And then you won't feel so overwhelmed. People get overwhelmed when they let the data pile up. Uh, you know, they go into it and they're doing this and all this stuff. And, you know, they get stuff happening. People are kicking them in the shins. This isn't going right. That isn't going right. You're misunderstood. And pretty soon it's this overwhelming mass of stuff that's hard to, that's hard to sort out. Well, knowing the big picture it'd all be okay. <laughs> yeah. Pat yourself on the head and say, it's going to be all right. It'll be okay. And then do your regular meditations where you sort everything out at the end of the day and deal with it in a positive way. That will then optimize your lessons so you don't have to repeat the same lessons over and over and over and over again before you finally get them. You'll get them much more quickly if you meditate upon each day. And how did you get through that day? You know, how could you have done it better? And what can you do to change, to make that change? But feeling overwhelmed at a new situation, it takes a while before you get your balance. But it'll come. And meditation is a really important part of that balance. I also fell in a trap of uh, meditation to feel good instead process it for the data because <clears throat> it is the exhaustion from too much just too much. Your audio is breaking up there. You were saying that it's a trap if your meditation is just used to feel better. If you just meditate because it feels good yeah. and you get in that nice place where it's, uh, you know, it's quiet, it's still, and you're just floating there and, uh, and it feels really good and you get energized that, yeah, it's meditation isn't just about feeling good and getting in that relaxation. I mean, that's can be a part of it, but meditation is a place where you see more clearly when you're in a point consciousness state, when you're in a good meditation state, your intellect is not in charge. You're basically connecting with your intuitive side. And that intuitive side is where most of your wisdom is, not in your intellect. So when you connect to that intuitive side, that's a good time to review and look and see how you're doing and, th and think of things because your intellect is sitting down and being quiet. Now, if you can, you can jump into your intellect in that space and there, oh, there's your intellect and it'll get right back into the picture of telling you what to do. But in a good meditation space, your intellect is set aside. You can jump back and forth intellectual space, meditation space, intellectual space, you know, intuitive space. And it's not a problem in your meditation to jump back and forth between those two, but you should know the difference between them. You should know when you're in the intellectual space and when you're in an intuitive space. And when you're in that intuitive space is when you do your review about what's, what's going on and what you can do about it. Then you might want to jump back out into that intellectual space and come up with a plan and then jump back into that intuitive space and, and uh, see what you, how you feel about that plan and how it might work. And 
can go back and forth, but I've always seen meditation as a working, as a workroom, you know, a working space. Oh, I'd like to just relax and chill out there. Yeah, that's fine. But it's not really my purpose when I meditate is to, is not to chill out and relax. I do that with it and I use it that way some, but actually, eventually, your whole life is kind of a chill place <laughs> and relaxed, and you don't really need to go into meditation to get in that place because you live there. Now you can use that meditation space as a, as a, as a space to do work, a space to learn, a space to get, you know, your intuitive side will gain perspective over the day and what's happened and what you've done and how you've been. That intuitive side has that perspective where all your intellect will do is try to justify it. Oh, yeah, all those things I did, yeah, they were the best things. Couldn't have done any better. I'm a good guy. That's what your ego will tell you. And your beliefs will agree with the ego for the most part. So that's why you can't ask your intellect to make those assessments. Your intellect just is too biased to give you any good advice. You ask your intuitive side in a meditation space. Yeah, just a lot of people do that. They think of meditation as a as a relaxation exercise, kind of a getaway. And uh, it is that, but it's a lot more than that. It's your it's your connection to the intuitive part of your of your being. It's a lot more profound than just a place to relax. Yeah, no. thanks, Tom. <laughs> very very useful. Okay. <laughs> Did you have another question, Boris? Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Donna. Um, basically, I have a question for a long time, which uh, I forget to ask every time. Um, it's about um, detaching consciousness from the physical body. So, <clears throat> of course, we've been practicing together how to do outer bodies, uh, phasing. Um, basically, now I'm starting to do it naturally during my dream state or in deep meditation, but I'm never in control. Like whenever my intellect get in, it's over. So I just, I was curious to get perhaps more tips on detaching like the consciousness from PMR while being in control. I don't know. Maybe I can give you a couple of hints here that might, might work. You get to meditation and your your intellect is kind of set aside. And at that point, you need some direction of what it is that you want to do or want to accomplish or where you want to go or what you need to experience or what you want to learn or what you want to review. You know, you need some direction because if you don't give yourself any direction, then you just tend to float there in that void, which is all very nice and relaxing, but it doesn't go much beyond that. So you need to start with an idea of what you want to do, because if you wait until you get there to make that choice, okay, now what do I want to do? What direction should I take? You won't do very well because you've already got your intellect set aside. So your intellect says, hey, don't ask me. I'm on the shelf now, you know. <laughs> You're on your own intuition, you know, intuitive side. What, what's your intuition about what you want to do? You know, well, 
your intuition tends to be vague. It's a, it's just is. So you'd be better off before you start. So this is one, you know, tip. Before you start, have some idea where you're going, and what you want to do, and what you'd like to accomplish. Now, if you want to just be out of body, then have some idea of well, what does that mean? What would you know? What sort of out of body do you want? I mean, that's a very general thing. Out of body, you know, when you're in point consciousness, you're out of body. You're no longer in your body. You're you are just your intuitive self. You're not really your physical self because you're not paying any attention to physical input. So you're already out of body. That's easy. Now, what do you want to do with it? <laughs> what do you want to experience? Where do you want to go? How do you want to get there? Or do you want to let it be open to the system? Let the system, you know, give me whatever whatever data stream it thinks would be most helpful. You can do that too. And just open yourself to the system and then let it uh, let it flow. Or you can decide that I'd like to go see this or that. Or I'd like to experience other beings that have never, I'd like to meet some other beings that have never been to this virtual reality. Or whatever. You know, come up with something. But then you have that, if you have that uh, mindset, you know, you have that that uh, intention, then the fact that you have that intention, you've thought about it, then it'll probably happen that way. Or it will after maybe your 10th try anyway. You know, I mean, it may take a little while to get your intellect to sit down and be quiet and so on. But so first, have a good intention. Have a clear intention, not a not a, a real general confused intention like, well, I want to go out there, elsewhere. I want to see something. You know, that's too vague. That doesn't give you any direction. Need something more specific than that. Or you might want to say, well, I'd like to, you know, that thing I had today with Joe, and uh, I was a little dicey. I'm not quite sure how that worked out. I'd like to revisit that from Joe's perspective. I'd like to see what Joe saw in that. You know, what was his perspective through that interchange? That was a, a little... uh a little tense there. What was his perspective? And then you can go beat Joe for a while and see how he saw it. So that might be something that you might like to do. You see, so you need some things, some some ideas of what it is would be good to do. Good for your learning, something the system gives you, be open to that. And then just let it happen. Now, letting it happen is problematic for some people because they have trouble with that, letting it happen. Their intellect sits perched on a, you know, on the front of its chair, waiting for something to happen, so nothing ever does. Letting it happen means means to be open, but not leading. Just open and letting things happen. Now, one way that you can exercise that letting it happen is through exercising your imagination. You can use your imagination to exercise that because what you're doing when you're letting it happen is you're getting data and you're you're interpreting that data to be you doing something with maybe others someplace else, you know, some non-physical space. 
and you're getting that data and you're interpreting that data in terms of your sense data because that's the only way you know how to think. That's the only way you have language, you know, to, to put it into words. So you have to take what that information you get and turn it into what you hear, what you see, what you feel, what you smell, what you taste, all sense data, because that's all you got to work with. You don't know how to communicate any other way other than sense data. So you go, you have to, you can practice at doing that in your imagination. If in your imagination you practice hearing, smelling, seeing, feeling, tasting, and you practice that, that's helpful because then that will make it easier for you to take the data you get and turn it into sense data that you can process into experience because you can only process your sense data into experience. Otherwise, that otherwise outside your sense data, experience is not defined. Okay. So it's feeling. It's just you get you get feelings perhaps. But even that has to be in, interpreted. I felt like I was flying or I felt like I was moving or I felt like I was you know, even even your feelings tend to be parsed in terms of sense data. Not always. You can just feel happy. That's not necessarily sense data. I felt very happy, and I felt very, uh, <clears throat> I felt one. I felt, I felt one with all. Well, you can have feelings like that that aren't really sense data, but you don't really... That's that's different than the kind of experience you want to have when you're doing out of body, right? You're you're going out of body to experience your being in other places, in other spaces, in other mental spaces. So it's not just a feeling space; it's a space that you need your sense data to interpret. So you can practice that. So you can go into your imagination and taste things, smell things, lots of different things, and really smell them. You know, to where that's. It's perfectly as real as it is if you were physically doing it. See things, hear things, have conversations. Matter of fact, one of the things that I've done recently in, in some of the talks I give is I've invented this park that people can go to, and it's just for that reason. It's just to put people in a mind space that is not connected to their body where they practice interpreting data. They practice getting a data stream and interpreting it. Well, one one way you get a data stream is that you create it, right? Data streams come from one of three places, the system, some other IUOC, or yourself. So if you're the one creating the data, then that's okay, too. You can practice creating that in a non-physical environment. What that'll do is once you get good at that, you'll be able to just open and let it happen much more easily. It'll be a simpler thing for you to let go. Okay, and just let let it happen. And also, 
while you're doing that in your imagination is a great opener for the system, for the LCS to just pick up on that data flow and change it to its own story. And suddenly your story takes a, an about face or takes a left turn someplace and turns into something very useful that wasn't part of your imagination. And it's real easy for the system to do that because you no longer have that barrier of, I don't have it, now I do have it. There's this, that, 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 that creates a barrier for you. And it creates a barrier that your intellect just really has problems with. So if you can start off that process, then let it go into something else, then the problem will be, well, but did I imagine the whole thing or was that the LCS giving me information? Well, that's the wrong question. The question should be, is that information useful? And as time goes by, you'll be able to answer that first question. You'll know. You'll recognize yourself when you're making up the data, but you won't at first. There's no way that you can do it for sure, for certain, but you can get pretty good at it, even if you aren't certain. Thanks, Tom. Ah. Very useful, as usual. Okay. Well, Tom Adams joined us today, too, and he has yeah, a question for you. Hey, what's up, Tom? Good to see you, pal. Mm -hmm. Hey, I had a question for a while, and I'm just happy to have a chance to ask you. Have you ever had a situation where you had a you knew a being of love, um, and you guys had a completely different opinion or view on something? You know, someone maybe a mentor of yours or one of your trainers, someone you knew who was a very high quality consciousness. Uh, but you guys just didn't see something the same way or, uh, you know, something in your management, uh, system management mm -hmm. duties. That's, uh, that's my question for now. Yeah. Yes, of course, that happens. Uh, <clears throat> it's never been a problem. You know, it's never turned into an issue of any sort because you can't be anybody other than yourself. You can't take on anybody else's opinion. You know, you, you, you have your own. But you also realize that you don't know everything, <laughs> that you're a work in progress, that you're learning. And you also realize that the other person, no matter how grown they are, that they're still learning too, that they're still a work in progress. So you take whatever advice or whatever information you get and you think about it and you say, well, maybe it's not the way I see it, but maybe. And you stay open-minded and you stay skeptical. And you live your life, and information may come that will verify it or, or throw it away. But again, it's not your truth unless it's your experience. So you don't say, oh, well, this guy knows a whole lot more than I do, so therefore his opinion will now be my opinion. That's lazy. You know, that's not doing your own work, and it's not going to help you grow up any. you got to say, well, if that's the case, I'm not there yet. But thanks for sharing, because now I'm going to be more open to it. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'll see the signs. If that starts to happen, I'll recognize it. So I really appreciate you telling me this, even if I don't really, if I can't support it with my own experience. It's still very helpful, because it's somebody that you respect and somebody you think really knows a lot. It could be that that's just the point they're confused on. It could be. They're not right. You don't know. 
And you won't know until your own experience gives you the information you need to understand it. So that's the way you you approach it. You, you can't just take somebody else's opinion and make it a fact in your mind. It's just not like that. You have to have the experience or it's not your truth. But you can really, you can welcome it and appreciate it and still keep it on a, you know, point two, point three, point nine, whatever. But I'm waiting for data to see how that works out. Because it's helpful. You know, once you once you're aware of it, it makes it a whole lot easier to see things you're aware of than thing, you know, then you have to develop that awareness from scratch is a lot harder, it takes longer. So that's why you stay open minded and skeptical all the time about almost everything. Does that answer your question, Adam? I think so, yeah. I think that's a, a real good take right there. Classic Tom take. You know, I have one more if I may. Uh, I think I've been getting real good at, um, you know, let's say relatively short hindsight, identifying negative emotions and ego reactions. You know, mm-hmm. someone pisses me off or, you know, I, and in the moment, maybe it take me now only a few minutes to realize, whoa, whoa, I shouldn't be having this kind of negative emotions. You know, what's the trick from taking it, uh, between like a retroactive uh, analysis to just not having that ego, you know, how do, how do we, how, how, what's the real, get rid of that ego altogether so I don't have those negative reactions and have to calm myself down afterwards and rather just not yeah. have them at all, you know. Well, the main thing is, Adam, is to have a very strong intention up in the front of your mind all the time that you don't want to be that way. And if you just have that, oh, I see that, I don't want to be that way. But not just say it once and then forget about it, but in your mind, always, I don't want to be that way. Yeah, I remember that yesterday, and I don't want to be that way. And all day, all night, it's just up there in your mind. I don't want to be that way. And if you can keep that, you'll change. It won't be that way. Just for the intention. But if it's just an intention one time and then you forget about it, yeah, okay, I don't want to be that way. But it's the way I am, and life goes on, and then you forget about it then you'll tend to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. But if you can keep that focus on it, like you got that focus, you saw it. Ah, look, yeah, I shouldn't have gotten upset at that. I should have handled that differently. And it, and the way I handled it didn't make it any better. You know, it made it worse. And I don't want to be that way. And then don't let that go. Keep that in your mind. Keep working that, you know, keep that right up there front. And that will then keep you from actually doing those things. And then pretty soon, you won't do them at all. They'll disappear. Okay, okay. And, and one more thing. Now, what about almost like uh, fiending anger or something just to get your kids to do something? You know, if like the kids aren't uh, behaving well, you know, I'm not really angry, but Kind of, you have to yell at them or something to get them to discipline. You know, they're going to run out in the street and they keep running out. You know, I'm not angry, but they might think I'm angry. You know what I mean? I give a wink to my wife, but what's is what's was that? Is that still being genuine? Am I still being genuine there? Well, well, you don't really have to do that. What you're doing is you're training your kids to react to certain kind of stimulus, and what they will learn is that you're not serious unless you're upset. 
So if you say, oh, cut that out, then they don't have to cut it out because you're not serious yet. When you get angry and you holler at them, then you're serious. Well, you can train them to think you're serious when you just say, cut that out. <laughs> That's serious. So it'd be better to train them to that than it would be to train them to you're not serious unless you're hollering. You know, so that's that's the, what you do there. And if you've already trained them some to, you know, okay, strike one's not serious, strike two's not too serious, strike three, dad goes ballistic. <clears throat> if you train them to that, then they'll take advantage and they'll play to that. And they'll do it that purposely. They know that you don't like it. They'll do it anyway. And then they'll do it again because they get two strikes and they know that. So they'll play it right to the hilt every time because that's what you've trained them to and that's what they'll do. And the the thing is that they'll tend to take those lessons and they'll apply them to their life. And, you know, they'll, they'll try to do the same thing when they're 50 and their boss tells them to do something. You know, they'll say, ah, well, I don't have to do it. You know, I'll wait till he tells me the third time. And then they may get fired. You know, it may not work. You know, everybody's not their dad. So it's better to just... If you say something, it's serious. Now, you can say things in a laughing tone or a joking tone, and that's okay. But make sure it, it carries that joking tone that you're not serious. But if you say it in a serious tone, then they should know once is enough. You don't have to repeat yourself. You know, it's not like on the 10th time he tells me, you know, I better do it because on the 11th time I'm going to get a smack. But up until the you know, 11th time, I'm good to go. I can just keep on going. That's not a good training. That's not the way to do it. They just, uh, they'll learn. They'll learn. They need to do what you say or consequences come. Not not two strikes, three strikes, 10 strikes, 20 strikes, but, you know, consequences come. But you have to say it, and you say it with authority so they know you're not just, having fun with them. So you'll get some tears in the beginning. It's unfair because it's not the way you used to be. But kids are pretty malleable. You can retrain them pretty easily. They train quickly. All right. They're still young enough, so I think I got some time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. TD has one last question. She's been patiently waiting and very polite to allow everyone to go ahead. I know it's late there, too, in Sweden. Please go ahead. Um, it's about separating in a gentle way. I have uh, discovered some dependencies in my close relationships, and I would like to create more independent relationships with less attachments. So I think I have a lot to learn in this area, and I would like to open up for free and independent growth. How can you do this in a gentle way without messing up for the people you are separating from, sort of. Yeah. I'm also considering letting it be for now, since this is likely to take care of itself as we both grow up more. Well, you can just change your own behavior and then just let it kind of let it work itself out over time. That's certainly the gentlest way is to just modify your own behavior. Now, Dependency comes in, you know, three, three types. It's you're dependent on them. Two, 
they're dependent on you, and three, you're both dependent on each other, you know, mutual dependency. So each one you probably need to approach a little differently. You know, they're all not exactly the same, and how you approach it just kind of depends. But in general, change the way you interact. So let's say a person depends on you. Well, they depend on you to maybe do certain things for them, maybe make choices for them, uh, tell them, uh, you know, what to do or how to do it or when to do it, and you'd like them to be more independent. Well, in that case, what you need to do is give them more encouragement that they can do it on their own when they say, oh, what's this? How should I do that? What's the answer to this question? You should help them make their own choice. Say, well, think about it this way, you know, and give them some things. But don't tell them the answer. Don't give them the thing. Just help them put it in a perspective that it makes it easier for them to see it. And then let them think about it and say, well, you know, you think about it. And if they say, oh, no, I don't want to think about it. I just want you to tell me what to do. Well, then you could say, well, I think you need to learn. You need to practice doing these things on your own. You know, that may be something you could say or something you could imply. Or just say, well, i got to go now. I'm busy. i got to go do this other thing. But, you know, here's a hint. And here's a way to look at it. And then go off and do something else. So, I don't know, it depends on the individual, depends on the person, depends on the dependency. But basically, stop, you know, if it's somebody else dependent on you, then stop playing that role. Stop telling them what to do and how to do it. And when you do that, you have to start letting them do it their own way, coming to their own conclusion. Because if they do it on their own and they come to a conclusion that's different than yours, and you turn around and correct them, oh, no, that's not the right answer. You need to do it my way. Then they're going to think, well, then there's no point in me trying to do it on my own because it's wrong unless it's her way, so I might as well find out what her way is and just do it that way to begin with. So if you're going to back out of that, you you also have to let the person do it in their own way, even if that way is not the best way in your estimation or not the most efficient way or not even the right way. It's their way, and they have to then learn from their own experience. In other words, you can't, you can't, what, give them your experience in lieu of their own experience. They need to develop their own experience. That's what depend. That's the problem with dependency, is that the one that's dependent doesn't get to develop their own experience base to where they can make their own choices. And often that's because somebody else has always jumped in and made those choices for them. Or somebody jumps in and tells them that the choices they made aren't the right choices. You say either one's a problem. So when you're going to have somebody make their own choices, you have to let them make their own choices. And if the choice isn't good, let them find that out. Now, you don't have to just leave them totally alone to crash and burn, but you can say, well, um, Consider, you know, have you considered this, this, and this? Or here's five choices I see that you could make. Here's the ups and downs of this one, the ups and downs of that one, the ups and downs of this one. And now go ahead, make your choice. That's, you know, I've I've told you what I know about it, but you have to make the choice. 
That's another way that you can interact with people. I did that with my kids a whole lot. They'd want me to tell them what to do or, you know, they'd ask, you know, is this a good thing to do or is that a good thing to do? And basically I would say, well, I can see that you could do this four or five different ways. And here are the four or five different ways. And here are the, here's the upsides and downsides of each way. If you do it this way, you have these benefits. Oh, but you got these losses. You get these problems. And if you do it this next way, here's the benefits and here are the problems. And do that with every one of the ways, even though you know that way number three is really the right way to do it. You don't tell them that. You give the, you know, you, you pick out a way that you think they like, you know, what's their favorite? Give them the benefits and the downside, you know, and the, and the, the law, you know, the problems, benefits, problems, benefits, problems for all the different ways. And then let them go do it. And when they do it, let them get the, let them get the, uh, the lessons there, the consequences of doing that. But what you've given them is you've given them a heads up on what the problems are. And even though they may pretend like they're not listening to you at all, they are, and they're getting that, and they decide, well, here's the way I want to do it. I know that's not the way you know, you think I should do it, but this is the way I would do it. All right, I'm going to do it that way. But they know what the downsides are and what the problems are with that way, and now they'll be looking for them. So you've given them information. And now they do that thing, and it's not a good way, but they just get partway down that wrong path, and they see those negative things starting to materialize, and, ah, they can back out before they get hurt. You see, so that way you're giving them advice in a way that does not tell them the answer. And so you can give them, that was, that was the method that I used with my kids to make, help them learn to make their own choices and their own decisions. But at the same time, giving them enough information that if they made a really bad choice, they'd be able to recognize it more quickly. And I was always careful not to, you know, I told you so, or, well, that was a dumb choice. You don't say any of those kinds of things. You always are supportive. And if it turns out badly, well, you hold their hand and tell them, you know, things will get better, you know, but, but uh, help them maybe see, saying, you know, it'd be a good idea to think, what you, you know, how you might have known ahead of time that that was going to be a bad choice. You know, so they learn something. People will learn something if you, if you help them. But if you tell them, they don't learn anything, except they learn never to confide in you because you'll tell them what to do. They don't want to be told what to do. Uh, that's, uh, so then they just don't ever talk to you or confide in you because otherwise you'll try to run their life with them. Give them your advice. And your advice, of course, they know is the right way, and anything else they do is going to be the wrong way. So let let people make their own choices and support them in that choice and catch them if that choice ends up putting them in trouble. Be there to with the safety net. Be there, you know, to help them out, but not with I told you so or uh, you should have done it my way because that's undermining their own ability to make their own choices. 
And uh, that's kind of what I do if somebody were dependent on you and you wanted them to be a little more independent. Now, if you're the one that's dependent, and often these are codependencies, you know, the person who's telling the other one what to do is codependent because they get their ego stroke by being the one who knows, telling the other one, giving the other one help, and they're the knowledgeable person, and they want to fix that other person's life so that other person never has any negatives, you know. And that makes them feel good because they're doing things. Well, that's a codependency. You're getting your ego stroke by being the one who's telling the other person how to live their life. And you're giving them an advantage by telling them the right way to live their life rather than giving them the ability to make their own choices and make their own mistakes. So typically there's codependence and that kind of a thing. So it just depends on what's going on. But... If you want people to be more independent, you have to support their independence. Give them information, but not not answers, not make the choice. But then my children would get frustrated sometimes, particularly my girls. They would tell me, Dad, just tell me you know, what I should do here. You know, and it's like, no. But mostly they appreciated it. Sometimes I frustrated them, but I'd always tell them what I saw as all the alternatives. You know, what are your, what are the, what are your choices? What could you do? And sometimes I'll point out choices to them that they didn't even know they had. Oh, I could do that. You mean that's a, that's a possibility. I could just say no, you know, or whatever. I could just say yes. So you can say, well, here's all the choices that I see and here's what I think about them. Go make up your own mind. Oh, I think that was very helpful. Um, and I can reflect on it a little bit further and live some, do some life living in, until next fireside chat. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So it's yeah. going to be a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's yeah. the way life is. Life is just a oh, whole yeah. series of cliffhangers. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. It's, it stays so that exciting. way the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And then we learn as we Thank go. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah. we do. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you, everyone. This ends our fireside chat for today. Thank you, Tom, and, and all who joined us today. Um, also, thanks go out to Oliver for running the server and Justin for doing all of the editing. Now, if you'd like, you can help support Oliver. Uh, the, in the description below, there'll be a link that you can donate. I know many of you look forward to the fireside chat, and we're very uh, grateful for that. Thanks, everyone. Tom Campbell here. INMBT Events, hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, 
please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.